0: You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IVT Podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Avram Kivilevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Rabbi Boven Yeshua Pupko is on vacation, and because of that I went back into the vault, and I discovered something which I think is relevant for this wintertime. It's a discussion about the snowbirds, those who go down to warmer climates, and are yet are still active members of the shul when they come back, how that affects that dissonance between being missing half the year and, in general, what life is like in the Northeast, in the cold weather, versus people who live in a more temperate climate, especially as how it might affect their involvement in religious activities and in the shul. Uh, There's also a little football discussion. Some of it, of course, is no longer... uh, Relevant, relevant, because the players are no longer either playing for that team or have retired, but still, I think that you will find it interesting a throwback to perhaps a time that we weren 't so stressed, a time that we weren 't so embroiled in difficulty anyway. Here it is. I hope you enjoy forty years of this is emeritus Rex with Rabbi Rubin Pupko from Montreal, Canada. Hello, I'm from Kivalevich. And I woke up this morning here in Jersey, uh, Rabbi Pupko, with a slight snowfall. And it got me thinking about something that uh, I think has been knocking around in my head for a while. But walking in the snow uh, reminded me that let's go back to a world pre COVID uh, when uh, <laughs> people actually came. The world was a
1: beautiful place. We were on the verge of utopia.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, a world where people were coming to show, people were meeting you. It wasn't right. as virtual as it is today. And we know that there was uh, in many of our communities, especially let's say where you are up, you know, I'm in Jersey, you're in uh, Montreal, I think you're about 400 miles or 450 miles north of me. You know what it means to live in a community that's battered by weeks, by intense cold, snowstorms, blizzards, etc. I lived in Chicago for 20 years. I know that as well. And we realize that a, a certain amount of the pop, certain section of our Jewish population, especially as they're older, and usually I would say those that have been smart enough to put money away, some of them actually extremely wealthy, they leave during the winter. And we used to call them snowbirds. I think they're still called that. Um, and they have either a second home in Florida, usually, but I assume now it's already extended to uh, California, Arizona, Vegas, um, maybe Eretz Yisrael as well. And these people uh, are, in a way, sometimes people who helped build the community. But now as they've aged, rightly so, they feel that they want to take care of their health. And they want to have perhaps extend their life by not having to be out there uh, in in the driveway, uh, shoveling snow and risking a heart attack. But what I was thinking about was, and I've seen it in my own eyes, is that these people have a little bit of a disconnect from the dynamic of the Shoal. On one hand, uh, they have a great history with the Shoal, but not with the present. The present Shoal might be the people who trudge through the snow, Put on the very all the layers of, of clothing. Get to the shul. Make the minion. The young people that now have can afford a house or a small or an apartment are now part of the uh, part of this uh, the, the the shul in the northeast or wherever it is in the north or the Midwest. And the snowbirds really don't even know them. The snowbirds aren't part of it. And then around Pesach time or so, the snowbirds land again. And sort of like uh, I, I'm reminded of the classic dr seuss um uh story uh horton uh, hatches the egg where uh yeah. daisy head Maisie leaves the egg for the the adult uh, horton who stays on that tree and keeps the egg warm and then after she when when she realizes that it's time she flies back and she wants to try to get her her child back and of course. The child turns into a a combination elephant and bird, but I think the the, the metaphor true. I think is really inspired. <laughs> the, the snowbirds leave the egg to the the people who don't have the money yet, and the young people, and then they want to come back like Daisy had Maisie, and uh, and reap the benefits of being a full show member. Right. So I know that you live in Montreal. I'll tell you, you know, how, how do you react to this? Right. I'll tell you something funny, but right. answer seriously,
1: when I first moved to Canada, it was in the eighties. You know, the Cold War was still raging, and uh, and I was astonished. But well, there there's an enormous amount of snow. I mean, I grew up in Pittsburgh, I, and I lived in New York. I, I know what snow is, but there's an enormous amount of snow in Canada. And what was remarkable to me was the skill with which municipal authorities remove snow. I have never, did I, I still stand in amazement decades later watching this ballet of trucks and plows and snowblowers and street uh, and, and, and sidewalk cleaners in an arsenal, the likes of which you could never imagine in America. Because what I realized was that while Canada were the, was the, were the beneficiaries of living under the, the military protection of the U.S. and the nuclear umbrella, and America was spending all its money on defense, Canada was spending all its money on snow. Over. So <laughs> it, it, it was, I mean, it's breathtaking what goes on here. I mean, you've never seen anything like it. The, it. Immediately upon, you know, the snow arriving in my neighborhood in Montreal, you have. I mean, and they, and they collect the snow. They don't push it. They collect the snow. They blowers. into pickup trucks and they have a huge dump on the edge of the city. Which is literally like an eight story building by the end of the winter, huge <laughs> pile, huge pile. And, and it slowly melts. It takes to August to melt. It, it is r- remarkable. And so, uh, Canada is really good at snow removal. However, your point is really, I think part of a larger. P- point. You know, can I
0: interrupt you just for a second? Yeah, because sure. you got me, you know, two things there about what you said. You know, obviously it's colder up there in the northern yeah. climes. But in a way, the efficiency of the snow removal oh. makes makes it safer. I mean, I noticed this when I w- I lived in Chicago for twenty years, and Chicago, of course, uh, you you hear about the windy city, right. and it, it it isn't as bad as Canada, but it is a large city, and you know the elections are won or lost in Chicago. Right. Uh, in the New famous, York, also, absolutely, the snow removal based on snow removal, and and and, and th- the efficiency of removal, definitely impacts the amount of deaths, the amount of spin outs, uh, and, and the brains that people have in terms of driving as well. So y- you could say living more north is more dangerous in terms of ice and snow. But in a way, because of the efficiency of, of, of places like that, it actually needs to be, I, I would say, places more in the middle.
1: <laughs> right, are um, the trouble, right, absolutely.
0: Yeah. I, well, but what's I,
1: interesting is, here in, in Montreal, people are disappointed when it doesn't snow. Because they want the, you know, the, uh, they want to go skiing. They want to do cross country skiing and they want the snow. They've embraced the winter. And, uh, and also no Jew I know ever shoveled his own driveway in Montreal. They all have Italian <laughs> snow removal companies. So they don't really exert themselves too much. Also, when we were kids, um, not that people leave their cars outside anymore, but at least during the day, maybe, you know, cars wouldn't start. It'd be so cold. you had the jumper cables in the trunk. You don't yeah. see that anymore. The cars are so much better. You know, I you know, I leave my car outside my show over shop. It's minus thirty. It's minus thirty. And I have a regular Japanese car. And I get it and it's never not started. I have a auto club membership for decades that I got when I first, you know, learned how to, you know, got my car or whatever. And I, I've used it a couple of times, mostly for other people. Sure. <laughs> You know, you know, it's a different world. I mean, it's a lot easier, but I, just to get back to the serious issue, whenever you deal with a Jewish organization, whether it's a show or anywhere else, you always have that tension, and it is a tension between the past and the, and the present, meaning the people who had leadership roles in the, in, in the synagogue uh, years earlier, 10 or 20 and 30 years earlier, who are still present. And, and, it, some of them always feel resentful that they're not getting enough credit for what they, you know, some people, they're resistant to change. We always did it this way. Um, also very interesting synagogue constitutions that lay out the executive of a synagogue often were anachronistic in this regard. In other words, you go to a typical Jewish organization, let's say, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, Canadian friends of the Tel Aviv University, your uh, social service organization. So there's a constitution, and there's an executive, and then um, and, and then there's a uh, term limits or whatever, and how to vote, and who gets to vote. Okay, every most organizations have a clause that says the past president is part of the executive, right? In the Two years after his term, whatever her term, they stay as president. They stay on, on the executive. Synagogues had this crazy thing in their constitution, which was very dangerous, that all the past presidents would continue to be members of the executive forever, which is a very bad thing, right? And it's one of the things that was changed here in my synagogue I took some time, and you're dealing with people's sensitivities. And it changed not just because people wanted it to change, but also because those who didn't want it to change either passed away or, or lost interest. But that's a real problem and you can have an elected executive to run a show out voting by the ten previous past presidents who are still hanging around that really is demoralizing for the younger people who are on the executive you know and and that's a real problem that that's a that, that's a management problem that's a serious problem so i, I don't know how it is now in uh, in, in, in other synagogues but uh, that was clearly a problem for me, but it, it changed, it changed over the years. And from what I understand the synagogues that I'm familiar with, they had similar issues, which, which also changed, but it's a tough one because if you're, if you're legally <laughs> entangled by people who were president 20 years ago, right? And have a very different outlook on, uh, on the synagogue than the younger people do. Hey, when I'm talking younger, I don't mean their children. I mean, talking, you know, people 30, 40 years old. It, it can create a lot of tension. So how do you honor the past without being handcuffed by the past? And that leads into the snowboard question. The older people go away. right? They come back. I remember, I used to have, a it used to be a much larger number of people who, who did that. Today, it's a little bit less. What I mean is a little bit less. That means the show goers are less likely to go away. In other words, when I first came here, the show goers w- w- went away. And I mean, it, the phenomenon is so pervasive in Montreal that they sell Montreal newspapers in, you know, in Hallandale newsstands. I mean, it's it's it, you know, and, and when, when I'm and I usually go to Florida for a couple of weeks in the winter, and I, I go to a show they ask me to speak. I, <laughs> I, I I look at the crowd. It's you know, three quarters of people are from Montreal. I mean, I don't know why. <laughs> and I get up every I go. You came here to escape me, and I thought you know what I mean. It's like, and, and, and I you know not to say Montreal, but you're the I mean, the Montreal is all over Florida. I mean, this year less than before because of travel and COVID, but they're still there. And, um, and, and I remember the old debates with the guy was, do you give a guy an Aaliyah before he goes away or when he comes back or both? <laughs> <laughs> right. And they would all come back at the same time, right? Right before Pesa. So we always had this problem of people with yard sites and people coming back to Florida and you could never, you couldn't give everybody you know, you're up to the sixth or the seventh, they tough but there's a certain limit. And it used to be a much broader phenomenon in terms of the people diving going away. A lot of people still go, but they're not really the daveners. So, um, so I remember those conflicts. But, uh, uh, but I think the real problem in any organization, whether the context is the shoal and snowbirds, the real, the core conflict really is: how do you manage a community uh, or an organization? balancing the aspirations of the young versus the, uh, the you know, the thinking of the, of the older crowd. So, and that's a tough one.
0: I, I agree. And, and, but I think here what I, what I would hope could be articulated by people like yourselves and others who aren't threatening is, look, if you, the, the show has a life. It doesn't hibernate like a bear in the winter, although you say for a couple of weeks Montreal shuts down, let's say that's an extreme situation. But in most situations, the shul goes on and uh, uh, the idea of the people that were there in the consistent method, always there, day in, day out, making the minion, it's logical just by todir v'shen todir that that should be Recognized as the people who are involved in forging this living organism, which is called a shoal community.
1: No, therefore,
0: let me just just articulate this if I can. I can't do it as quickly as you, but I'm going to try. I I think that if you have the the older people, although they still are in a way entrenched in certain Musogam of the past, but they are, they are doing their duties. They are showing up. So yes. Their, their con, their concepts are maybe a little old fashioned and maybe in a way they, they live like most of us live. Like we, we, we discuss our glory days often on this little program that we have. So that's understandable, but they earn it at least for now by showing up and, and therefore there's a leveler by being involved. So even though you're right, there is this sort of tension, where are we going? What type of rabbi do we want? What sort of shirin do we want? Uh, What are we going to do about creation? There are all these things which could go the past and the present and the future. Everybody plays a role in it and can by virtue of their involvement. Now, obviously, it's easier for a guy with muscles and youth and energy and red cheeks to be able to get there where the older person can't. But pushing through and getting there with their canes and walkers and huge uh, uh, boat like cars and getting there to show that gives them the right. So so what I'm saying is I, I think, and here's my point. I know I'm getting, when a person becomes a snowbird, the rabbi should talk to them and say, listen, we're so happy that you're going to have a greater quality of life and you'll always be respected here, but realize what this means. You, you were the president. You can no longer be on the executive anymore. And the reason is it's not fair, right? It's not fair for someone to be just grandfathered in. Um, and, and I think if everybody recognizes that, they're going to say, well, hmm, on one hand, I could be part of this vital shul. On the other hand, I have to pay the Italian to come and, and, and get my uh, drive uh, cleared. And I also got to put on five layers plus uh, uh, three scarves uh, to get there on Shabbos. If I decide I'm going to spend on a nice beachfront house in Florida, then I have to realize that I resign some of my benefits. Does that sound strange? I think it sounds so logical. You, you tell me what you right. it,
1: You know, I try uh, to... It's so, it's, it's so specific to each individual because... There are certain people who understand, right, that they're absent from the show from after Sentinel's Torah until Pesach, and they come back and they're there from Pesach uh, through, you know, through, through Sukkot. That obviously that diminishes their ability or even, I don't know if you want to say right, the, the right to, you know, have expectations about their own involvement and, and influence. And, and some people don't, but again, I think you know, in the main, it's to the benefit of a show to keep the older guys involved. That helps everyone, right? But I think if you set up the right structure of decision-making, like I referenced earlier, you don't suffer the pitfalls of people who don't, shouldn't have a say, continuing to want to have a say. If you structure your, you know, the, the management of the synagogue correctly, it becomes less of a problem. Yeah, you know, I remember even you know, moments of tension when people came back and had certain expectations and as if they, they had been off for 24 hours instead of five months. But, uh, um, but generally speaking, it's a good thing. It's a good thing to try to keep to, to first of all, I mean, they say we're talking, you're supposed to respect the, the, the old people. Uh, you're supposed to, you know, look after them. I mean, I know, uh, of a show, uh, uh, in, in the Midwest that, uh, had a beautiful show for many years, and they and the younger people wanted to, you know, knock it down and put up a new show. And and they were right. The old show, you know, didn't look so good anymore. And they had enough property, and they had the wherewithal to put up a nice new show. But the people who had, but there were people in the show who remember laying every brick in every campaign, and every plaque, who poured their lives and loved that show, built by survivors, and now it was their grandchildren who were switching it. And other people's grandchildren. It was deeply painful. The show went through a wrenching period and, 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 and and the show did it wisely. They, you know, they did, they took, you know, serious steps to honor those who were still around from the, you know, from the building of the first one who are now very old, but still around and still came to show. And it's about COVID. In other words, if you talk to people, you know, straight and you, and you do what's right in terms of honoring and, and acknowledging the past. And you set up your management structure so that COVID ends at the uh, at the border of decision making, <laughs> right? Right. right? And, and you manage it correctly, you can usually navigate these things. But the but the attitude, you're right. Some people go to Florida, they come back, they think they weren't away. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, Jews can be annoying, but again, smart lay leadership and smart rabbis, you know, can navigate these things. I don't, I've never had the need to have an explicit kind of conversation but like you've had. I think it's, it's rabbis need, in other words, if conversations like that were necessary because of people really overstepping their boundaries, I don't think it's a conversation a rabbi should ever have. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think that, you know, lay people have to manage that. Stuff.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I, maybe you're right. Maybe it's not the rabbi. I, I think what you, what you're saying, of course, is part of. The, the struggle of, of, of human existence, which is recognizing that our time here on this planet is limited till we go to our reward and how much we want to hold on to the conceptions that we were raised with and how much we realize it's for the future. And again, it plays out in a shul as well as it plays in, 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 the, in the larger society. Again, I don't want to talk politics today because we've talked about politics so much the last couple of weeks, but that really is one of the dynamics that we have been discussing in politics, which is, again, crazy. You know, we, we, we are uh, going to have the inauguration of the oldest uh, person ever to assume the office of President of the United States, and yet we realize that uh, uh, the, the great voices that, are, have, were, that, that pushed his election were young people, uh, people that uh, are, are looking for a whole different view of the way the planet should be. And I think that's <laughs> what we're talking. You're right. And, and knowing how to walk that balance.
1: By the way, if you ever talk to people, I don't know if you have this, you ever had the exposure to this, you know, uh, these are legacy institutions, you know, where, uh, and, and I don't know if they're really as popular as they once were, but you know, golf
0: clubs, you know, one of the
1: country sure, where,
0: So they're Jewish country. Right I know I know I've done some hashkochas there I've done right. so, I've oh I've, I've overseen hashkochas at country so you, clubs. you you
1: talk to the people it's the funniest thing you talk to the Jews who run the country clubs it's the same dynamic as a soul in other words you have younger people and older people you have all the past present who feel they built the place and therefore should continue to have the say versus the younger executive that certainly you know contributes but uh you know they they weren't there from uh, from from the beginning and you have the same dynamic. It's, it's a dynamic of old versus young. I'm sure you have it in businesses. And, uh, and I think there's no, if younger people can be respectful and older people understand that you have to give younger people, uh, the room, uh, uh, to lead, it, it can work out. But of course you have people who, who are younger people who don't know how to have their affairs and don't know how to show respect. You have older people who continue, you know, who are, uh, you know who who still feel the need to have their opinions listened to, uh, not just listened to, but adhered to. So you you so it's a problem. It's a problem in every reason. But you know, I guess I, the I, snowboard question shows a little bit different. And I want to get back to what you really wanted to talk about, which was, it, in other words, the old time community where people got up to you know you know roll together and you know and the younger people. Everyone, it was it was an organic process of eight. Is, is disrupted by some of the things we do now, which is you know, we go to Florida for a few months, uh, we go to Israel for two months, and and, and the notion of Kehillah has certainly been dented by the modern the wealth, uh, the ease of, of of escaping. And by the way, I think we mentioned this a few weeks ago, maybe more than that, when I was talking to you about a bar mitzvah, right, where Families who, who've been in your show for twenty years, or son has a bar mitzvah, and instead of doing it in the show, they want to go somewhere. Like they want to go to a hotel to do a bar mitzvah or Israel do a bar mitzvah. And when you speak to the younger people today, especially about the notions of community, and even though you know Mr. Schwartz sitting there, who you don't know, who you barely said good shabbos to, he has seen your kid grow up. He deserves the machas to sing the bar mitzvah, <laughs> right? Which I believe. I believe that strongly. That's a killer because. Every Jewish child is is, 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 they're all our children, right? And, and that's just how it was. You're in a community, you, you see the kids grow up, you see, you get nachos, and this escape from community to do a, sim, a private symbol. It's part of the same dynamic where Gehilla is dented by our prosperity and our, and our ability to, to escape and, and to be elsewhere. And between spending several months somewhere winter and several months somewhere else in the summer, you're in the, if uh, you're in the, in Manhattan, you're in, uh, you know, you're in uh, Palm Beach for three months in the winter. You're in the Hamptons for two months in the in the summer. I mean, and so people don't have that address. A lot of people have lost that sense of rootedness. Rootedness is lost. And that's a, and that's a, a pervasive problem.
0: Right. And, and so I think it it's, diminishes it's,
1: responsibility and solidarity.
0: It's exacerbated by the, actually our very first conversation that we had, if you remember, uh, on the on principle program about Shiurim. And and, and and where do you go? Does the is the shul servicing you in, right. in a total way? The virtual realities that that exist, the multiple platforms, also chip away at this, as we as we've as, as we've said, and therefore, especially coming out of COVID, I think there's going to be a, a reorganization that we talked about, and and shuls will suffer. You know, speaking about that, you know, Montreal, a wonderful Jewish community for years uh here in jersey and the northeast and chicago um but you know if, if you think about it um there are a lot of people who say why even at a young age should you have to deal with uh snow and ice right you know that the housing market in texas is is is, is wonderful florida the taxes and, and other things Okay, you have to put up with, remember, the giant palmettos. You remember those. <laughs> you remember the, the cockroach that ate Cleveland. You remember how giant those palmettos were there. Um, they name an expressway after the giant cockroach. I don't know why exactly. <laughs> but, but, but the point is, is that you have places to go, and you wonder, hmm, maybe as we consider post-COVID what our city should look like, maybe the debate again should be, should be, should be raised. Does it really make sense? I mean, the investments that we put into these into these northeastern places. Maybe there should be this idea of moving towards, if it's if it's possible. <laughs> no, and there won't be any snowbirds. Everybody will will live it's the temperate. Now, now, let me let me just balance that by something I mentioned to you before we started recording. It's one of my favorite Sfarnos. You know, when the Sfarno tries to think about what changed after you know Noah's time. Uh, at till afterwards, why did that generation uh, of Noach? Why were they the most, uh, the most uh, terrible, uh, and Why did they almost destroy the planet with their ideals and with their sexual, uh, picadillos and everything? Well, w- w- picadillos is a, is, a, is a euphemism for what they were doing, right? They were actually, <laughs> yeah, they were getting it on with all the animals, etc. Like, no, no,
1: no, right?
0: No, the point yeah. is, why did it change? <laughs> And what 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 is going to stop the human condition from reverting to that? So the Sferno says the pasuk in Parshas Noach, that says that there's always going to be these seasons that are clearly demarked. There's going to be kor cold. There's going to be chom. There's going to be heat. There's going to be period of intense kayats, like at the end of the summer where all the fruit is drying up. There's going to be Periods in the early winter, or where, 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 where you have crops that are choref that are going to come out. So, in other words, the Torah describes seasons which this says did not exist beforehand. And of course, this is as you know, is used to explain the age of the world, that maybe the, the way we do carbon dating is based on the, uh, the fact that the world went through a change, but before the flood, things were different. Anyway, the point this is making is that when you have a temperate climate, where everything where you don't have this winter times you don't have this 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 boiling summer that mankind is actually is actually ill served because there's so much free time so much ability to sort of just enjoy yourself your your baser your the baser instincts come out so that's the debate should we should we m- Should we? It's going to put you out of a job. Maybe I think you'll get a job wherever you are. But it's does it make sense to maybe think? Hey, what do we need this Northeast with all the snow for? Oh, I'll tell
1: you something funny. I've two things. I'll I'll say, you remember you and I. You remember Florida in the nineteen seventies? Yes, we were both in yeshiva there. So in the nineteen seventies, Florida was empty in the summer. It was a ghost town, right? You could you there weren't cars on Arthur Garfield. I mean, it was a ghost town firstly the tourists weren't around nobody went to florida in the summer those days, and the jewish community itself wasn't that large in those days down in southern florida and and also you i i kind of remember you had floridians who went north in the summer because it was too hot it was humid the humidity The yeah. yeah. humidity
0: was it wasn't the heat it was the humidity anyway so the. uh but by, now, by the way, I just want—I just want to tell you—during those periods, I remember frolicking on the beach, uh, together with right. the the Mizels. Uh, we, used, we used to run to the mikvah at the Seagull Hotel <laughs> yeah. every Arab Shabbos because it was empty, and we would empty. run. It was it
1: empty. W- it we was had a free run of those hotels, right? We used the poles, the crown, the Saxony. We had a free run because there was no one around. There was no one around. Today, Florida became a -a 12-month-a-year experience for people. It's radically different. The kosher hotels no longer exist because everybody rents a condo or has a condo. And, and uh, you know, the the days of the Crown, the Caribbean, and the Saxony are gone. I mean, I love those places. They were great places. They don't exist. I mean, who needs a kosher hotel? we got to mention the Fountain Blue. we got to mention the Fountain Blue. I mean, who needs a kosher hotel when you have – when we were down there, were there any kosher restaurants in Florida? Yes, there were, but – you have more kosher restaurants in Southern Florida, from Hallandale and Fort Lauderdale South, than anywhere in the world. And people, and, and the people who went there in the summer, in the winter, their kids have moved, as you say, permanently. A lot of New Yorkers have moved, not at the age of sixty or seventy, but at the age of thirty, down to Florida. They live there. I mean, look at you know, look at uh, Boca and all these places that are huge Jewish communities today. I mean, uh, you know, when uh, you know, Vunk and Jared have to leave. Uh, uh, you know uh, washington they're not going to the hostile environs of the Upper East Side of Manhattan. They find a much more hospitable address in Southern Florida. They just bought a condo in Surfside and, and they're building a house because that is now a very Jewish area filled with Jewish schools and everything else and shoals and, and everything else and and it became a twenty a twelve month a year uh, uh, a, a reality and so maybe you 're right maybe that's where people are gravitated, and the less people are stuck to a geography. Because of business, the more likely people are going to choose places to live that are comfortable. I mean, it's um. I mean, you have major brokerage houses move their operations out of Wall Street to different places, and uh, you know, and, and and the outflow to Texas and Florida from places like New Jersey, Illinois, and California and New York is remarkable. I mean, uh, the high taxes and you know, in
0: Democratic- California, I think is California. Is, is almost oversaturated, but Vegas for years was the fastest growing. Right. Las Vegas and Lakewood were the two fastest growing cities in right. the United States. It's yeah. true. <laughs> <laughs> Las Vegas and Lakewood, the two L.A.s. And, and, and ironically, it was
1: the same people. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah. <laughs> Look, I, I remember when I landed in Vegas and saw a bunch of chassidim my son, when he turned 21, um, I, he said, "Take," I, I gave him a, a trip to Vegas. And uh, I actually uh, let him go and gamble. The next morning, which was his, the day before his birthday, we drove to the Grand Canyon. Uh, one of my students uh, who brought me out there nominally to, to be a scholar in residence in one of the shoals a couple of miles from the strip. Um, so I did have a little bit of my, my ticket covered. He gave me his big red pickup truck and me and my son drove the four or five hours, whatever it was, and, and ended up. A davening on his birthday uh, at uh, I forgot what it's called Angel uh, Lookout right, right, right. Uh, in, in, in 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 at the Grand Canyon. So, but I remember when we landed at the airport in Vegas, a bunch of guys with with, with Payus and Burton were there as well. So um, you, know. you know the old
1: joke. You you know the old joke.
0: Uh, the you're only mean. old listen, we're both old jokes. But go ahead. <laughs> I know was, myself and I know you. Were, we're the, I'm the, we're, we're the two oldest jokes around, but go ahead. Right. Old, it's a really old joke and it's not even a good joke it, about the chassid who wakes up one
1: morning, decides to give it all up and go off to Dara, shaves off his beard and pay takes off his yarmulke, gets rid of his beckish, puts on a nice fancy suit and takes the first plane down to Vegas. He gets, uh, looking non-chassidic, I would say, gets, and takes the shuttle bus to the, uh, to, to the to the, uh, to the mirage, gets off the shuttle bus and a car hits him and he's lying injured on the road. And he says, looks up to Shemaim and he goes, oh, you're a buddy of Shalom. I didn't even do anything yet. And God <laughs> looks down and says, oh, Moshe, that's you. I didn't recognize. <laughs> it's an old joke. <laughs> but
0: um, but, we, but we know both of these, again, you know, on Lakewood, I think Lakewood, you know, has such a a heart, and, and the, the, the housing is still affordable enough communities. Lakewood is probably going to have growth for a while, but unlike that sort of the artifice of the yeshiva community, which has its own power, the old-time communities, we might see a shutting down of some of these larger shoals in the Northeast. what 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 what
1: what What is very interesting,
0: in other words, just like lower taxes
1: is a draw for the general world to move to places like Florida, what is a draw, for instance, for front people is Finding a state with voucher programs, and you see this dynamic in Ohio. Ohio has vouchers, where in a certain neighborhoods you get, you have to pay much less and receive a tuition, because the you know because the government will fund a voucher program in places where the public schools okay. are doing well or wherever. So you have this huge influx of people to Cleveland, for instance, yeah, because of that. The right. voucher program. So you have that dynamic also, just the real estate. Costs and the tuition cost in New York push. I mean, what is one of the number one triggers of Aliyah today amongst the modern Orthodox is getting free education in Israel? That's right. You know, and if, I mean, I, I have a friend of mine, he's a doctor. He has a big family guy him. He moves to and he's still a doctor in America sitting in the basement of his house in Ephrat because he does telemedicine. He's running three ICUs in the Midwest from his wow. basement in Ephrat, and he never has to put his pants on. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's unbelievable. And, and and because of technology, you're able to be anywhere you want to be sometimes, depending on your career. And what's pushing people to leave
0: New York is, not, is as much the bad weather as it is high tuition costs. So, so I, I, you didn't take my bait on this, and I just want to close off here. Sure. You didn't take my bait on the advantages of the Torah, when the Torah writes, it's good to have these seasons, it's good to have... I don't know, I can't figure that one out. I didn't take that because I'm confused by it. I'll tell you why, I'm not sure what it means.
1: I don't know, I've always lived with seasons. I know that Israel's seasons are much less dramatic than Montreal's seasons. So, I don't really, I'm not... There's no, I mean, listen, (laughs) culturally, we do associate warmer climates with a more of a relaxed lifestyle. And, you know, whether it's California or Vegas or Monte Carlo, that the Sparta certainly these, does seem to have a point. And when you think about it, that place <clears throat> places that enjoy beautiful weather the whole year round are not generally associated with rigorous discipline. Let me put it that way. Right. And, and so he has a point. I just don't know how it plays out. I mean, I guess Jews have lived in some really weird places. And you know, I was in Vilda for Shabbos once in, in, in the eighties in the summertime. And I don't understand how people lived there. Cause Shabbos wasn't over ever. I mean, you went to sleep and the sun was still up. I mean, I don't understand what was going on until I still don't get it. I'm sure if I looked hard enough, I'd figure it out. But I, I, I didn't make up though until I woke up Sunday morning. Wow. I mean, it, it's
0: impossible. You know, it's still light. And, and we, and we know the post Kim spoke about the intense cold, which basically obliterated the midst of, of sleeping in the sukkah. So right? right.
1: Well, again, it, it was, you know, I mean, there's a, uh, you know, there, there was, uh, you know, the styrus the butter, and that was probably the reason. Very few people, although there was one group who, who, who made up a story about it being religiously triggered, you know, because of. Well, well, and, and
0: again, and, and that also, so, so I agree with you. If we look at Eretz Yisrael as the template, so maybe what the Sferno means, It's got, we, in moderation, but, but the extreme, the extreme conditions of Montreal, uh, Chicago, or many of the other places we talked about are really unnatural. So really, it, it, it maybe isn't a bad thing uh, about this. Well, I'll concept. tell you something funny. You know, I'll
1: tell you, in all my years in Montreal, I can't think of any time we closed because of the weather. And that was what's astonishing. In other words, I would wake up in, a mor- in the morning, we would dive around a quarter to seven in the morning, and there'd be a new blanket of 18 inches of snow that you had to push through. And drive-through and everything else to get to, to get to show. And people did it. I mean, every single time. I am in amazement, Nicompan, at like it was in, in other words, you would almost be mocked for being a weakling if you didn't do it. Right? It's the snow. You live in Montreal. This is what you do. But I'll tell you that one of the most most common things that you would hear on a day like that is a younger person saying is why did my Zayda come here? He could have gone anywhere. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> it's, you, you hear that a lot. Uh, but um, sure. but it's could, cold.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, it was the,
1: certainly, it's almost like a macho thing in Montreal. Like, no matter how bad it is, we're going out. No matter how much snow there is, we're getting to Shoal or we're going wherever we
0: have to go. I'll tell you one of the things that um, I, I sometimes think about um, is. Like you say, there's the effort, and there's also the time. You know, the the, the greatest gift we have, are us old timers, realize is time. The amount of time that it takes to even put on a second layer, or to shovel out, or to scrape the windows, there is something to be uh, argument to be made about the advantages of making use of that of that time, and doing it in the best possible way. And I think that's, um, mm-hmm. you know, on one hand, if if you are living the life of the mind, that's another half hour you could have learned, another mm-hmm. half hour you could have taught. But like the Sferno says, if you're not predisposed to to doing avodas Hashem, then maybe it's okay that you have to struggle to get things done. And maybe in that struggle, that itself uh, changes you, makes you appreciate the shul, makes you appreciate what you had to go through to get there, and, and maybe even gives you a love of the other people around you who who have gone, who've done the same things sort of like, um, I'm sorry for putting salt in your wound, sort of like the people in green Bay who, um, who <laughs> when it was snowing uh, would go all to the stadium and everybody would go help to, to, to you make know, sure, I, I... make sure the snow, like the whole 60,000 people of the city would march to Lambeau field to Clean the snow off together and share in, uh, the glory that was the green and gold.
1: But I want to tell you something. I was in Green Bay for a football game. And you you have to go, I mean, you have to to go to Green Bay once in your life to see a football game. And it was a group of us. We were at an afternoon game in Green Bay and a night game in Chicago. No, actually, I may be wrong. It was an afternoon game in Green Bay, but Monday night in Chicago, the next day. In Chicago.
0: Do you remember who the Packers were playing?
1: I don't remember. I got the. I don't remember the, have been. I don't remember. And it was so cold in Green Bay. I can't tell how cold it was, but you know, the stadium was wonderful. You walk in and there's a lot of warm places to, you know, to hang out and you watch, you know, Green Bay is a beautiful state. I mean, it's just unbelievable. It, it, but it was so cold. A deep winter. It was in December. Deep winter. Anyway, so we, we, we got it. We left Green Bay. Then we went to Chicago, slept overnight. In the hotel in Chicago, we woke up in the morning and the headlines in the Chicago tabloid were, coldest night in Chicago's history predict. One of these crazy weather headlines, right? And we were going to Field that night. And we're all layers in it. But I, the cold, I have never, and I've been in some really, cold, I've been in Winnipeg in the deep winter, in Alberta and in Montreal. I've had cold. I have never in my life, like, felt cold as I did sitting there at a football game. <laughs> in soldier field i mean it went right through you it was cold it, it was really right cold. by the lake
0: there well as oh. you can but but again i think you know as, uh, you can see you know how people become uh, tethered and invested through that struggle and they they end up i guess i think loving look you can't compare uh, you know a la ram fan to a buffalo bills fan oh, or wow. right the, 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 it's not just because there's so much to do. Know, when when you know, the winter struggle, yeah. Anyway, let's hope we can uh, <laughs> have some of that as well. Investiture, uh, and you know, we're with, all rooting for Green Bay because nobody wants to see Brady another. No, it's yeah, I, yeah. I know he's one of your uh, anti, He's the Antichrist, um, and <laughs> we'll talk about global warming on a next program, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, right. All right. Take care, Rabbi Pupko. Be well, everybody. More Emeritus ricks coming up next week. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you liked what you heard. If you did, please take a moment to share this or any of the many episodes available on our platform with friends in order to help grow our community. Until next time, Shalom.